Amen. Hey guys, before, uh, before we get started in John, uh, if you are a senior, guys and girls, you're going to just stay behind for a quick announcement, okay? So if I forget at the conclusion of the sermon, uh, I'm going to meet with just the seniors in this room, and then we'll send you to group. It'll be about less than five minutes, okay? Um, how many of you went on vacation during fall break? Anyone here? All right, how many of you left... Did anyone leave the country? Anyone leave the country? All right, back here. So uh, if you leave the country, oh, brothers, perfect. I was like, dang, we got two of them. Um, if you leave the country, we had a funny thing happen. We were at Universal Studios, um, and we were in this, like, pet training show, and they were going to have this bird fly to a volunteer, and someone from a different country stood up, and they said, ma'am, just hold out a dollar like this. And you could just see her eyes are big, and she goes to her purse, and she, like, held up a quarter, and everybody's like, no. And then she's, you could just see her, like, she holds up something else, and everybody's like, no, that's not a dollar. And the whole show, like, stops because she doesn't know what a dollar is because she doesn't know the U.S. currency. Uh, have you ever been to a different place? Now, your parents probably handle the money, but it's really important to know what money looks like in that place. So if you can imagine... Uh, I give, you know, somebody says, that'll be $4. And you're looking at this money, and it has a different language, and you're like, I don't know, and you hand over 50. You're really trusting that person to be honest with you, right? Um, so uh, imagine, do we have our foreign exchange student here? All right, so he's not here today. Uh, imagine we were trying to describe a quarter. And what we described to him was, okay, this is really important, Knowing our currency is really important. This is a quarter. This is worth 25 cents. 100 cents equals a dollar. So, okay, this is, he's getting it down, and he goes, okay, I see, and it says, so it says Liberty, and it has George Washington's head on it, and then at the bottom it says, uh, in God we trust. Okay, so he walks away, and he goes, got it. George Washington's head, Liberty, in God we trust. George Washington's head, Liberty, so he looks at it, looks through the drawer, looks, there's George Washington's head, that's a quarter, that's 25 cents, 25 cents, there's his head, 25 cents, there's a dollar, he's got it. You get the idea. All right, so he goes to the store. Sir, that'll be four seventy-five. All right, I got this, I got my $5, I hand it, and they give him one of these. And there's an eagle on it. And he's like, uh, I'm, I'm new at this thing, but I'm, I know you owe me 25 cents, so I'd like a quarter back. And they said, sir, that is a quarter. And he says, no, um, this is not a quarter. This has an eagle on it. I know it's George Washington's head, liberty, in God we trust. Uh, I think you're messing with me. No, sir, you see, like, the obvious, right, is on the other side is George Washington's head. Now, that was a long story to tell you this. There are two sides to love and just as, like, foreign currency can be really confusing if you don't understand the two sides to a coin, Jesus is very confusing. And the Gospels are very confusing if you don't get the two sides of love, okay? So these, it's really strange. In chapter 2 of, of the Gospel of John, you're going to see two, what seems like to many people, totally different people in two different stories. And we're going to get to see... The two sides. Now, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you the two sides. 
John in chapter 1 said that the Word became flesh, that God has actually come down and dwelt in human form among us, and we get to behold His glory. And he says, Jesus, God, was full of grace and truth. All right, heads, he's full of grace. Tails, he's full of truth. And we get this wrong so much, guys. So we have some people that are all truth. It's like what people need to know, they need to know truth. So they're always going to correct you. They're going to see what you're doing wrong, and they're going to point it out, and it's natural, and it just comes at you. And if you're around those people, sometimes you just get exasperated. Like, oh my gosh, there is no empathy, there's no compassion, it's just all truth, 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 truth. Then you're around some people that are all grace. Forgiveness, gentleness, kindness, mercy, grace, patience. But they see things in your life that are broken, and they know it's broken, but they won't say anything to you. They're so afraid of telling you the truth. And I'm telling you this, Jesus loves perfectly, and he loves with this, grace, patience, kindness, gentleness, mercy, truth, he is going to tell you what's wrong with you, and he's going to address it. So let's look and see how this plays out in John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up there. I'm going to read our first story, and it is a wedding the wedding at Cana, and it is a very odd, very odd beginning to Jesus' ministry. Um, Jesus does his first miracle in chapter 2 at this wedding, and what's strange about it is most miracles that Jesus does, there's a blind person involved, or there's someone that can't walk, or there's someone that's extremely sick. Those are the type of miracles that Jesus does. Now, the first thing that he does as he kicks off his ministry is he brings wine to a wedding, and already you're like, I don't know if I know this Jesus. Like his first miracle is he brings wine to a wedding. Let's read it, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Verse 1. The next day uh, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Now these festivities would have been like a weekend long, maybe even close to a week-long celebration. So during this week, the wine has run out. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that is not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now, interesting that you're going to read that phrase a lot in the Gospel of John. Jesus is going to say it a lot. And he's always referring to, it's not my time to die. So you get, like, this story is already strange. Hey, they've run out of wine. Can you do something? He goes, look, it's not our problem. It's not my time to die. Strange. But his mother told the servants, and we should all heed Mary's words right here, do whatever he tells you to do. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons and Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip out and take to the master of ceremonies. The master of ceremonies is someone that runs the wedding. He's kind of like the DJ, but the wedding coordinator all in one. He's running the wedding. And he takes it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. 
When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Okay, the bridegroom is what we call the groom. So this is the man or the boy that's getting married. You know, like when they got married in Hebrew tradition, is probably like a senior in high school. This is an older teenager. And he pulls over this young man, okay? And he says this, uh, a host, like the bridegroom, always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you, exclamation point at the end, you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Okay, the first miracle that Jesus does is wine. Um, And I think immediately, I think, is there better uses of your power? Right? Um, You know, I I talked about the lame people and the blind people. Shouldn't be Jesus healing them, and he's going to get to that. Why did he choose to use his power in this moment? And you can imagine, if you look deeper into the story, what is ahead for this young couple? So this is a teenage couple. If you guys are seniors, they're probably 17, 18 years old, getting married. Uh, Large festivities, okay? In this time, this is a, a shame culture, which means this. If your family messes up, Beck, all right, your dad does something awful, it's like that mark is on you and your family for the next few generations. You're like, oh, Beck, yeah, he's the one, you know, the family that so-and-so and that whole situation that happened. In a shame culture, you were put out of community and you're kind of set to the margins and you were marked with these like faux pas. And so what this couple is facing is this, huge sadness. It's going to be so embarrassing. The wine has run out and Mary knows it. And she is like, we have to save this young couple. Jesus, do something. Now, Jesus has this strange response, right? He says, this is not my problem. It's not time for me to die or it's not yet my time. And we're going to get back to that in a sec. But let's Let's think of the the outcomes of if Jesus doesn't intervene, extreme shame, bad reputation, even thought of as like maybe a cursed by God couple. This is kind of how the culture worked. Extreme sadness. Because Jesus intervenes, it's not shame, but it's honor. So Jesus brings out the best wine. And what does the master of ceremony say? I've done a lot of weddings. And this does not happen. You are like the best groom because you're providing your people here is the very best wine. And you can imagine this young couple now in a shame and honor culture is like, man, you know Joe and Sue? I know it's horrible names. I just pulled that up right now. Joe and Sue, what are they, like 60? Joe and Sue, man, that's that couple that brings the good wine. You remember that wedding? Man, that wedding feast where they brought out that good wine on the last day, that was awesome. And that reputation, six of them. So the couple that was full of shame now because Jesus intervenes is now the couple that has honor. And Jesus does this because this is what Jesus has come to do. Let's think about us. In the end of the story of the Bible, there is a wedding feast 
right? All shame has been wiped away from the earth, and we are honored as his children. We are justified and lifted up. The prophet Isaiah is talking about this day. They call it the day of the Lord, and it's all throughout the scripture, and you should be looking forward to this day because the way that God describes this is that it is like the best wedding banquet you've ever heard or you've ever, you've ever been to. Not only does it have the best wine, which the prophets say, it will have the best wine, it will have the best meats, it will be the best party, and there will be no more sadness, there will be no more tears, and it says that he will swallow up death, and death will be no more. In the same way that Jesus took this couple and took their sadness to gladness, is he's going to do this for the whole of creation. And maybe that explains why Jesus says, it's not my time to die. Because maybe as he's at this wedding feast, he's thinking of the day of the Lord and this great wedding banquet, and, and Mary comes and says, Jesus, take away their shame. Do something. They're going to be full of shame. And he's thinking of this, and he says, yeah, I'm going to take away their shame but not right now. I'm not ready to die right now. It's not my time yet. But yeah, at this wedding, yeah, I'll give them wine and I'll save them of this embarrassment. But there's a day coming called the day of the Lord when here's what the prophet Isaiah says, the Lord will spread a wonderful feast for all people. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged, fine wine and choice meat. Then he will remove the cloud of gloom. What is the cloud of gloom? It's the shadow of death. What does that mean? It means that as as great as our wedding banquet is, death is like hanging over us like a cloud. Like this is great, but that day is coming when we have to experience the funeral again, when we have to suffer the loss of others. And it says that the shadow of death hangs over us and he will swallow that death up forever. The Lord will wipe away all tears. He'll remove forever all the insults, all the shame against his people. Sounds amazing. That's one side of the coin is this, is Jesus sees this couple and he takes them from their sadness to gladness. And we are just going to call that what John calls grace. Okay? Transition to the next story. Now, I don't have time to read the whole story, but I'm going to explain it. Jesus goes to the temple. Now, what you have to understand about the temple is this is like the downtown area, okay? This is where, like, uh, this is Wall Street. It's the center of all the economy in Israel. It's the very center of it, and it's the very center of all religion and worship is right there in Jerusalem. And there's this huge temple. I think I told you before, maybe, but this temple I just got to visit last year is seven football fields big. Like if you lined up seven football fields next to each other, that's how big this thing. It is enormous. And he walks into the temple and he sees there's animals everywhere. Now that's not out of place. There should be animals because there's animal sacrifices. This is how God set up with the Jews to atone or forgive their sins, that they would kill an animal, they would sacrifice it, and that blood would cover their sins, okay? So he sees the animals and they're everywhere. And then he sees money changers. He sees tables of people. And this is basically a money exchange where if you were foreigners to, to Israel, 
and you wanted to worship our God, Yahweh, which is what the temple was for, for foreigners to come and be able to worship the one true God, you would have to bring your money, all right? So Bella brings her money and she says, all right, uh, I, here's, a, here's a 25 cent coin and I give her a dime, okay? And I'm saying, you can't take your pagan money into the temple. So you give me your pagan money, 25 cents, and I give you a dime. What did I do? I just profited off of your worship, right? So now there is a whole industry, and Jerusalem's industry is booming because of foreign worshipers that want to come worship God. So Jesus sees this. Now, sometimes we picture it in the movie like he just loses his mind. Like, I'm so ticked. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how John writes it. John says he makes a whip. All right? So what does that mean? He's got to go somewhere. He's got to buy some leather. He's going to sit down, and he's going to weave together the leather. Now he goes to the animals. He goes to the animals, and he starts, and he starts getting all the animals, and he gets them, he's getting them out of the temple. The very center of the way that they worship and their religion, he's saying like, you don't need these anymore. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one true sacrifice is here. You don't need animals. Let's get them out. People are like, what in the world is he doing? The next thing he does is he goes, this economy over here, he goes, takes the coins off, flips over the coin. He says, my, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, all the foreigners. And you've made it into a den of thieves. You've made it into a marketplace and you're profiting off of the mission of God and worship. And Jesus gets ticked and he goes right out. And so what has he just done? He's walked right to the center of this country's downtown and he's halted their worship and religion and he has halted their economy. How do you think they're going to respond? These guys are not very happy. And they say, what gives you the right? You better show some credentials. If you're going to come in here and get rid of all the animal sacrifices, this is how we're forgiven of our sins, and you're going to get rid of all our economy, you better show some credentials. How do we know you're from God? Show us a sign. And Jesus says, in a little bit of a cryptic language, he says, kill me, and I'll raise on the third day. You want a sign that I have the right to say this is wrong. Kill me, and I'll rise from the dead three days later. Now, what he said was, he said, tear down this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. And the scriptures say that nobody knew what he was talking about until he rose from the dead, and they said, now we know. He was talking about himself. Now, your culture is telling you a lot about what is right and wrong. True? And a lot of what your culture says is different than what Jesus says. In other words, what Jesus says is right, the culture is saying is wrong, and what Jesus says is wrong is actually celebrated as right. It's upside down. And this whole world, this culture is telling you these things. Here's what your response should be. Who gives you the credentials to tell me what is right and wrong? Right? You're telling me how I should live my life and what good morality is and what right and wrong is. What credentials do you have? Because I'm following someone who was killed and raised from the dead. 
So if you can trump that, maybe I'll listen to you. Until you can do that, I'm going to go ahead and stick with Jesus. Because I just have a philosophy in my life that if someone dies and raises from the dead, I should probably listen to him. So I'm going to stick with his version of right and wrong. There's the two stories so far in, 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 um, in chapter 2. One of grace, where he's saving from their sadness to gladness. And then one where he just throws over tables and he tells them the truth that what they're doing is wrong. Two points I want to make. Number one, when you come to Jesus, you are not coming to a one-sided Jesus that just says, everything you do is okay. You are wonderful. I am patient and kind and gentle and merciful and forgiving. Jesus is those things. But you are coming to Jesus, a Jesus that loves you. And although he is forgiving and merciful, he's going to turn over some tables. And he's going to say, this thing about your personality is wrong and it needs to be changed. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So we're coming to a two-sided Jesus. The other thing is this. This is the last point. We are his disciples. Those of you that have trusted Christ by faith, you are his disciple or his follower, which means you imitate Jesus. You're like a copy of Jesus. And some of you that do the all grace thing, like you go this way and it's all, it's all forgiveness. I'm not, even, not going to say anything. It's good. I can still be friends with you. You can live that way and it's fine. And I never bring it up. That is not love. It is not loving for a parent to see their kid do wrong and not say anything. Because that wrong will hurt them. I love my kids. When they mess up, I'm forgiving. But I'm going to address the wrong. We as a church, we as a group, when your friends are doing stuff wrong, you cannot be afraid to tell them in love, buddy, or girlfriend. You guys don't call each other girlfriend. Girlfriend. What you're doing is not right. Now, do I have the right? Have I risen from the dead? Do I have the right to tell you what is right and wrong? I don't. Is your small group leader risen from the dead? They can't tell you what's right and wrong. Has your person next to you in your small group risen from the dead? They can't tell you what's right and wrong. But what we can tell you is what Jesus has said. So when I see your life and I see something off, I go like this. Hey, let me show you something. I'm, I'm flawed and I got things wrong with me that God has shown me I'm working on. But look at this is what Jesus says about the things that you're doing. Jesus says that people that are doing those things don't enter the kingdom of God. And I'm just worried about you because I love you. The other, the other person I want to address is the people that are all truth. Truth, truth, truth. That is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. These people failed. These people aren't doing right. And you actually are bitter at almost everybody because you can see clearly where they're wrong. And you kind of go this way. The grace person goes this way. The truth person goes this way. And we need to kind of find this balance of fullness of grace and truth where we can both love each other and offer forgiveness and mercy and empathy and compassion, but also say, hey, what you're doing is not right, according to Jesus. Do you guys understand? And when you do that, you have great friendships that then we start to look like Jesus. And when we start to look and love like Jesus, look out. Then it's good. Then we start living the good life that Jesus called us to. 
Okay, I'm going to send you to groups, and I want like leaders. I sent you something on group me a little bit about listening to God, and the exercise over the break. You can choose to use those or some conversations about the trait of the the grace and truth message. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, you have the right to tell us when we're wrong, and you have the credentials to say what is good and what is evil, and forgive us for the ways that we have believed that evil is good and good is evil. God, I pray that you would make us bold enough to love each other well, that when you put it on our heart to bring something to our friend, to bring correction and truth, that we would be bold enough to do it. And when you put it on our heart to say, let that one go, forgive, be patient, be kind, be understanding, that we would be bold enough to do that. The only way we can do this, Lord, is through your spirit. And so I pray this would be a spirit-filled group of kids right here. And that you would begin to bear fruit in them that would be tasty to the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.